I'm leaving the country, I'm leaving Ireland. So, by any stretch of the imagination, thanks very much as I receive orange juice in the train station in Cork, freshly squeezed orange juice. By any stretch of the imagination, this is definitely an adventure. I mean, it'd be wrong of me to assume that I will be coming back to Ireland. Assuming that there will be a future that is not the best way to live in the present. So, I'm leaving Ireland. I'm going to be out of the country when the Roman Catholic Pope lands in Dublin tomorrow. And during the 36 hours that the Roman Catholic Pope is going to be in Ireland, I'm going to be away. I can't stand, uh, I couldn't face the trauma of being in the country at the same time as a Pope from uh, Rome, the Bishop of Rome, the representative of the Vatican, the overall leader of an organization, well, of that organization. I couldn't face it, so I had to leave the country. That's the only way my blood pressure would keep down, and my mental health is more important than anything else. But to be in the country while large numbers of people celebrate his arrival and uh, pray with him um, and stand with him, well, good luck to them, but think what that does for the mind of somebody who wants to be a member of Ireland's bigger community, who wants to feel in solidarity with other people, and above all, who wants them to feel in solidarity with him. You know, whose side are the people of Ireland on as they wave yellow and white bunting and uh, bow their head in in reverence and obedience. Actually, it all also happens to be a very significant birthday of a very significant friend who lives in... Yes, so my friend Phil, who was married to my the best woman friend I ever had in my life, Nina Fishman, may you rest in peace, is having a very significant birthday. He's gathering around him, or inviting, all of his, uh, his significant friends in his life, and uh, there will be a mighty celebration. He is even putting me up in a hotel in Swansea and I'm not the only person that he's putting up because he's, as far as I know, he's paying the accommodation cost of everybody coming to his birthday celebration. What a man. What a man. So I'm going to be there for that. Uh, on my way there, part of the journey is that I'm going to meet a very significant audio presence in Ireland a man called Larry G. Maguire author of The Artist's Manifesto and an all-round good egg and we're meeting in Dublin Air Dublin train station this morning on top of that I love trains I'm mad about trains I brought all my paraphernalia wires for this and wires for that and that includes headphones by Sony. Uh, thank goodness going to the UK will not consume any more data than it will over here. I packed a pullover because it's cold and predicted rain. I packed a second pair of trousers. I've, so I, I have a couple of shirts and a couple of t-shirts. So what can I do? I can promise you a rolling adventure. And I'm going to do something that I don't usually do. I'm going to add pieces of audio onto this one as they happen, rather than wait until Monday when, if you like, the adventure is all over because I, well, if there is going to be a future, I will return to Ireland on Monday. My mother used to say, we know not the day nor the hour, 
and I never realized what a profound effect that would have on me throughout my entire life. I've never forgotten the phrase, and it has helped me not to be cocky and assume that I will be back in Ireland on Monday. I'll be contacting quite a lot of uh, people via the internet. I brought with me a book, the book that I'm reading on the internet called Wanderlust, A History of Walking by Rebecca Solnit. I hope to walk the, around Swansea and perhaps even around the Gower, on the Gower, which will mean something to those people who understand the geography of the UK. But the Gower Peninsula, if you want to know about it, is a very special peninsula just outside Swansea. By the way, Swansea is in the south, about maybe more than halfway along the south coast of Wales. So what else can I tell you? Oh, I've also bought a book by uh, William uh, Rice uh, Burroughs. I haven't read him before, but on uh, a strange occasion ages ago, uh, somebody, and I better not name him in case I make a mistake, um, but a very um, a magnificent uh, writer and a very fine speaker, an American who lives north of uh, Boston, a short distance north of Boston, and who has a name very similar to somebody who was a very good player on the Dublin football team named Brogan. He compared my writing to the writing of uh, William Rice Burroughs. So I thought, God, I better, and this is 15 years later maybe, I better, I better find out what William Rice Burroughs' writing is about. So there we are, introduction to the adventure. Um, yeah, I'm kind of not exactly stuck for words, but I'm thinking what are the most appropriate words? There really aren't any particular, except I finish my orange juice and I'll take the coffee on the train. I will, uh, I'll be here and I'll be adding to this audio, uh, probably continuously throughout the day. Dublin train station, well one of the train stations in Dublin called Houston Station, 1221. nine minutes before Larry G. Maguire will pick me up. There's a piano here called Houston Piano. H, oh, I should learn how to spell Houston. H-E-U-S-T-O-N. Houston Piano. That's a hashtag. H-E-U-S-T-O-N. Houston Piano. This is what it sounds like. Now I've been playing those notes with the back of my middle finger because I don't know how to play the piano. lovely thing about pianos. There's a piano in Euston Station in London as well. When I arrived here there was somebody who was able to play some fine music sitting at the piano playing and I 
unfortunately didn't get to record them. Train journey from Cork to Dublin was greatly helped by meeting Con Lucy. Con Lucy's from Cork, lives in Glenmire, worked in the Dunlop factory in Cork for, I think he said, 30 years. Big, very big factory in, in Cork. He told me uh, quite a lot about how good a job that had been. Plenty of overtime. Said there wasn't a great sense of camaraderie there, so there were a lot of cliques. But he clearly liked the job. He'd worked in tires all his life. Subsequently went went to work for another tire company in Ireland. And he was on his way to Newry. Can't remember what he said he was going to do in Newry. It certainly seemed to be a look like a family one. We we talked for quite a long time about the Pope's visit and what Ireland was. Well, more what Ireland was like. And in a way how bad it was. Yeah, in terms of you know, it wasn't safe to be left in some with some priests in some rooms. That's we spoke about. Spoke about going to school in the North Mon in Cork. North Monastery School. I don't know which, uh, if that was the Christian Brothers, it could have been. He spoke about Magdalene Laundry being across the road. And the thing that really shocked me is he said this Magdalene Laundry had windows that were smaller than the windows on the train as we were looking out. But he can remember from childhood seeing girls um, sticking their face up to the windows saying, let, let me out, let me out. I, uh, I can't really uh, imagine what that must have been like. Anyway, it was a real joy to talk to him about Ireland. It didn't just help pass the time, it helped enrich the time. Now, Larry will be here in a minute, and I've never met him before. I will know the sound of his voice, because Larry G. Maguire has been active on social audio and in, in a podcast, his podcast called The Larb, in case you want to find it, The Larb. But he's from Dublin, and it'll be very interesting to meet him. And I'm, we're both the kind of people who like to record conversations. So I'm quite sure we'll record conversations. Where are we going to go? I'm not sure. This is a noisy place. I hope we go somewhere where we might get a sandwich or yeah I feel like that my stomach feels a bit off anyway that's it Dublin arrived in Dublin I keep wondering are some of these people who were on the train going to Dublin are they getting up to Dublin and they uh, you know the day before the Pope is arriving the shock that I had this morning in Cork was the discovery that there are special trains going up to to Dublin for the events of the weekend, special trains. But people who have a free pre-travel pass, that's anyone of retirement age in Ireland is entitled. I think it's either one year after or the exact year that you, you're welcome to, you get state pension. You're entitled to, to free travel pass. But the free travel pass isn't valid on the special trains coming up to see the Pope. And travel from Cork to Dublin is about 70 euros return. So it's, uh, you know, reasonably expensive 
day out, especially if you're used to travelling up and down to Dublin by train without having to pay at all. I haven't heard this uh, mentioned anywhere about people having to pay the cost of public transport when they wouldn't normally have to pay. Anyway, there we are. There we are. I'm going to uh, go and try and figure out where to wait for Larry. Where would I be without Google Maps walking to Ryan's pub on Southgate Street? I'd have turned the wrong way, I'd have walked towards town instead of away from town. So here we are, that's good. Parkgate is where Guinness is uh, made. So I've never been in this pub before. So let's see. Put the phone in the pocket. Take the take the lead, the charging lead out of my of the phone and just walk in here like an ordinary person. I've just meeting somebody in a minute. Could I? I sh we probably will. I assume we're staying here. So, uh, can I please have a pint of water with no ice? Thanks a million. Do you know how long has this pub been here? <laughs> Hundred and thirty two years, right. Eighteen eighty six. Eighteen eighty six, the year of the first home rule bill. God Here's to Gladstone. Now behind the bar I see in no order of importance. Beef eater gin. Beef eater pink gin. Bronac 24 gin. Bonac 24 gin. Cork dry gin. Dingle gin. Hapenny Dublin dry gin. Gordon's. Gunpowder Irish gin. Hendrix. Monkey 47. Oh my God, here he is. Hey, how good, good to see you. How good to see you. You're a much taller man than I imagined. Well, isn't that funny how you, the last thing, you, you know each other's face. Yes. And I've had this before. I remember going to Chicago and this woman came up to me and I'd had contact with her and a lot of other people. She was about this high. Are we sitting here for a pint? Do you want a bite to eat? Do you want a sandwich? Or, or, I do. Or I do. Yeah, I well, definitely do. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Heading. Uh, I'm joking, you say I have to leave the country because the Pope is, uh, the Pope will be here, but I'm on my way to Swansea, a really good friend of mine. It's his 80th, I can hardly believe it, his 80th birthday. What have you got? What's the kit? What have you got here now? Now, I have to tell you, I'm using Voice Recorder Pro and I turned it on before you came. Did you? Yeah. So when you want to tell me something private and confidential... Just let it run. Do. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. What's this? This is a... I've just got a bit of kit in here. Yeah, and, but... Um, what is it? Force field test. Well, ah. that one, I've been using that for a long time. Yes. That's just an external I, recorder. I have one of those, but Great I have job. hardly ever used it. Well, it looks almost the same. Yeah, almost yeah. entirely same. For, um, is this the this is the whole kit you need in a nice it's case. It's a little mobile kit. Yeah. Uh, that's another blower I kind of mess around with. Yeah. How much for the case? The case was only a couple of quid on Amazon. Yeah, but the whole thing, all the kit uh, inside. The mics. Oh, well, I suppose, yeah. 
I know how much these are. These are these you know are about these sixty, lads. aren't they? These lads here. Isn't that? Isn't that? Um, you get them on Amazon. That's the cheapest you get them. Yeah, the, yeah, the, I know. But they're the ones that Bernie Goldback gave. Yeah. He, he gave me uh, Smart Lab Pro. Uh, Smart Smart Lab uh, Plus. Unfortunately, I, I mean, I so I lost mine, and then I bought a cheaper pair. Stupid of me. I bought a pair that has a oh, you were saying that. Yeah, long yeah, yeah, yeah. wire and that is no good for anything. Oh, so what we do is... Um, oh, yeah, Mike. We'll so, grab yeah. a bite of E4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm so pleased to see you. Eventually, yeah. Well, it's Jeez. only been about 12 months since we first kind of connected yeah, on it. Well, I don't come to Dublin very often either, yeah, you know. Yeah. So no, I, I don't be down your neck of the woods either. Um, so good to take advantage of the fact that you're up here. Fantastic, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry I, I'm late. I was dropping me little one to uh, a kid's leave. party. I didn't even notice. And, I just uh, stood there. I'm a bit... Um, Spaced out because I didn't uh, get to sleep till about half two, and uh, I'm usually all right on. Well, I am all right on five hours sleep, but yeah. you know, it's. Um, I still just didn't feel great, so uh, I was very happy to move at snail space. What's on the menu here? This, this place, uh, I can't get over. 1886. Yeah. First home rule bill. Oh yeah, we're going to order. Yeah. Actually, do you know what I love? I love a you do soup. Yeah. What a kind? soup is broccoli and almond today. Broccoli and almond. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I'd have no bread. I'd have, I'd have no bread. And then I do you do a portion of chips? Would you cook me a portion of chips well cooked? That would be perfect for me. Roast chicken seems a real kind of mammy's food. I'll have the roast chicken seeds. Yeah. And uh, would you like some? You're okay with water? Eh? I am for a little bit. Yeah. Can I get a bottle of sparkling water? And a pint glass of ice. Thanks. Now, I insist on buying you lunch. No, no, you're the guest in my part of the world, so I'll, I'll buy lunch, that's it. I used to say this to um, anybody from any other countries that come to, uh, that I meet, I say, look, no Irish clan chief could allow any visitor, would be a complete oh, disgrace to the clan disgrace. if you uh, let them pay uh, for anything. Exactly. So, uh, so oh God, there was yeah. a couple of things that I thought we might have a bit of a natter about. Yes, please. Yeah, you even said one of them already, which was oh, we work. were muttering on work. Work. Yeah. I'm all. I love talking about work. Yeah, I, I think it's a very interesting subject. Yeah, yeah, into, you know, very yeah. meaty, and I can go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, no work. Very good. Very good. Uh, want to talk to you about? Uh, the big man coming to see us on Sunday. Oh, right. <laughs> Your impression of that? I did a whole episode um, about. I cut that. I cut that. Uh, yeah. Did yeah. you the whole well, thing? I, I listened to the first part, but I was yeah, on the move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's thirty-something minutes long. But uh, yeah, right. I'm very happy to talk about that. Yeah, I wasn't here for the last one. They're shutting down my whole neighbourhood. Are they? Yeah. It's like where he's staying is it's right on the Navan Road where I live. And everything's been shut down. You cannot leave or come to or fro from your own house by a motor car anyway. Really? Yeah, that's on Sunday. So when you, if you get up on Sunday morning and you want to go, let us say, to Limerick from your house. Uh, forget it. Screwed. You're not going. Because the, the 300 coaches coming down the Navin Road from I don't know where. Yeah. And then yeah. they have all these people coming in from on the Lewis, from Broombridge. And they've everyone coming from the city, walking up from the city. And uh, he's staying in the Papal Nuncio, or whatever you call it. Oh, in the convent in the on the Navin Road. Or, oh, is it a convent Road. on the Navin Road? Yeah. They're out painting the roads, relining the roads, cutting the grass, have sweeping they, the street. Have they changed the yellow lines to uh, uh, White lines. to the papal yellow colour? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Aida. Do you remember 79? Vaguely. I was a kid. Yeah. I, remember, I remember being on the TV, my mother and my eldest sister went with um, my grandmother. Yeah. And I was on the telly and my dad was at home. And my dad wouldn't have been religious at all. He would have gone. But he surely have watched it. No, we, we all did. Like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Me yeah. and my younger sister yeah, and yeah. my dad. Yeah. I remember kneeling down in front of the TV. Really? Oh, like that's this. serious. Oh, yeah. Is at the height of the mass or it's while a, he was speaking or the whole thing? I don't know. No, I think it was just like it's a it's a snapshot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was only six. What an know? experience! Oh, Larry, I had completely. <laughs> I mean, I have all sorts of things about kneeling down from my childhood because we said the daily rosary every seven days. Uh, <coughs> A week, 365 days a year, and that involved kneeling. Wow. Okay. That involved. But anyway, look, 79 GCR. I was out of the country. I was five. I, I was five. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was. <laughs> and uh, what else? Um, my my father's mother was deeply, deeply devout. Like it was scary going into her house. You know, when I was a kid. Yeah. Because up the stairs. Holy water pots. Oh yeah. Statues. At the front door. We had one of the Virgin Mary. You know this technique in painting where you can paint it in such a way that no matter where you stand in the room, the person is looking at you. Now, I don't know how you do it, but you have a painting that you can look you know, down along here yeah. and the eyes are so coming this way yeah. and go the other way and they're going to the, yeah. see it that yeah. way. Anyway, we had, I mean, we had a house full of statues. May not, I don't know how, which was more scary, but yeah, we had a big Virgin Mary inside. The, we had a hall going into our house, right? And he had, uh, he had tiles on it, right? Yeah. And stairs going up. But there was a ledge. You were born and raised in Limerick, In Limerick, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereabouts uh, in Limerick? Out. City? No. The, oh, yeah, city, city. Out near the Gaelic Grounds, a place called North Circular Road. Okay. Um, I'd be reasonably familiar. In a... Yeah, in an old house, really. Um, 1830s house. Oh, wow, okay. Um, but anyway, this... Uh, you go in the front of this house, which was quite big. Um, there was a, a ledge uh, with a statue of the Virgin Mary. It was about a metre high. I don't know. It looked about a metre high to me anyway. And that was just normal. But you see, it was all normal. The holy water fonts, the whole thing. Um, it really was... Um, the, the Irish people at that time were really quite naive and easily led you might say into so deeply into their devotion to the Catholic Church not as vivid as the Spanish my god the uh, elaborateness of the Spanish um, I mean in terms of statues and rosary beads they'd be predominantly Catholic in Spain would it? oh yes yeah in 1492 Ferdinand and Isabel the uh, you see the Moors took over Spain right they took over the whole of Spain in about 700 and something, right? So Spain was a, um, I mean, actually, there's a terrific record of uh, the Jews, the uh, Christians, and the um, um, Arabs all living relatively harmoniously. Anyway, hundreds of years of this led to, uh, eventually, um, Ferdinand and Isabella, the, the Spanish, um, leading what they would have called a national liberation movement. Basically, they ran. They, they, the last uh, city, Moorish city in Spain, fell then. Granada, all of that, I haven't been to, but apparently all the artwork is phenomenal there. They, they then basically burnt the Jews out of Spain. Uh, 
suspense Catholic, but my God, the processions they have there. I mean, real, you know, whatever about the processions in Ireland. It's kind of died off a good bit, that, you know, parading down the street with, um, you know, all the kids dressed in their the white gowns and the, the, the Mary procession or whatever you call it. Um, that's gone. I, I don't think it's, that's practiced anywhere here now. But are people, you know, the country in large part, I think, has moved away from that kind of Dublin, I mean, uh, Dublin must have been the first place to move away from that. I mean, Dublin, like any capital city, you'd expect that to be the most liberal, really. They would, you know? Will the north inner city be completely bedecked in uh, in yellow uh, flags? And, it should be now. Whatever you see now, I think is, is yes, where it's going to go. But uh, they'll all be parading up here into the into the park. Yeah. And you know, I was uh, oh, what I discovered this morning. You know, I thought well. All the um, elderly people will say will have free coming up from the country. Will have their free travel pass. And that would you assume that? Well, it'd make a difference, I think. Oh, oh, maybe not at the weekends. <laughs> no, normal trains on the weekends are free. Oh, Specials right? are not. Okay. All the trains coming from Cork to Dublin are specials. Right. Seventy euros return. Yeah. That's a sleep, isn't it? I mean, I got, I, got up, I got up for free. First time I've ever used it. Nice one. Fantastic. Zero, zero money to, to come up. Which is fantastic, you know. But it, if I was used to travelling up and down on the train and all that sort of thing, and I suddenly had to pay 70 to go... It's a big wallet of cash, yeah. It's a lot of money. Just two of you, yourself and your missus, you know. Jeez, if you're bringing the kids... Forget about it. Big money, all right. But anyway, look, we have how much time, Larry? As a matter of interest. Well, what time is your flight? I have plenty of time. The flight. Uh, this crazy thing. I'm flying with a crowd called Fly B. Oh yes. The thing is, they don't have an online booking service. All oh, right. Okay. I mean, this kind of like I couldn't figure out how you fly with an an airline without an online. But anyway, I have to get out to the airport. In right. I don't think the flight goes till four o'clock. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. Um, I have to pick up my daughter. Ass. Two thirty over the M50. Right. So you come with me. Perfect. That's wonderful. And then I zip out the airport. Oh, yes. That is. That I'll is. I'll be out there for about three o'clock. That's bliss. Perfect. I. I. Uh, I'm delighted. Yeah. Bypass four. Uh, the flight goes. No problem. Yeah. That's perfect for you then. That's perfect. Absolutely perfect. You know what, ever, I keep thinking, now if we hadn't got a dog, I would have been able to pop up and have a cup of coffee with you on the train, just for, you know, just almost like, you know, you'd, you know, I used to live in London, right? Yeah. And crossing London could easily take you a couple of hours, even on the tube, right, from one side to the other. And frankly... This is only about, this isn't much more than two hours to get from Cork to Dublin. So I really do think of, increasingly now, I think of them as like suburb. Yeah. You know? It's, it's, getting, it's getting closer and right. Isn't that now whenever you want us to talk about something specific uh, you tell me right well I want to talk to you I want yeah. to talk to you about uh, war but before we get into yeah. that yeah. subject and we'll have our bit of food yeah. and then we'll I'll just mic this up because I want yeah. to record it into Voice Power Pro very good software isn't that's it my, that's my backup there yeah I just love Voice Record Pro yeah. it's not it's good I did um, mind you I was recording a conversation I had with uh, Handweaver and Donegal, Eddie Darden. Oh, I know, I listened to it, yeah. And it wasn't great, he was very, he talked very softly and I couldn't get him properly. Would have been better had, him, had I had him mic'd up, but so be it. I'm, uh, I've been doing um, chatting with people and recording chats with people for, well, since 2009 or 10. Yeah. 
and I can still practically count all the times I ever used a mic. So I'm a real. Uh, oh, that's great. That is terrific. Yeah. So uh, I'm just about the lowest tech guy you'll uh, Listen, you'll come across. The more complicated you go, the more uh, hassle you're giving yourself. Well, yes. I mean, I. Uh, um, the, I don't think. Only in the last couple of years have I ever uh, put anything onto Audacity and edited. Right, I, I never edited a single thing. I just uh, I'd oh, be yes. talking to people and doing conversations yeah. about things and uh, just get them up there. I say to them, look, if you say something you want to change your mind on, um, just uh, change your mind uh, uh, live in the recording. I just um, you know I'm not going to be edi editing it. I used to go mad into uh, editing the, the audio and cutting out. You know, there was maybe a bit of a stutter or a stammer or maybe an imperfection, as I saw it. And I spent ages going through the whole thing, cutting out the bits that I didn't like. And it's crazy. To me, anyway, now. Because it takes so much time. You just record oh. it on the go, and that's it. It's the same thing now. I know one or two people who don't have to listen to the audio to cut out the... Uh, Ums and ahs. They can see the wave, shape of the wave. Yes. And they can get rid of ums oh, without. Uh, a, now you have to be very familiar with that. Absolutely. But uh, expert level. Well, no, that's great. Thank you ever so much. Enjoy. Go. Great, Larry. I tell you, this is this reminds me of. Uh, this is going to sound ridiculous, but this reminds me of landing in in Chicago about uh, about four years ago. I have a contact with this guy on social media, not a huge amount. Twitter, basically. Oh yeah. I think it was. Anyway, I, I say I'm going to Chicago, and he says. The blue. It's not as if we were bosom buddies or anything. Um, what flies are you coming in on? I told him. Didn't he meet me off the plane, right? Uh, 10 o'clock in the morning or something. Took me off in his car, drove me around, uh, you know, places in Chicago, and um, took me to. We went to two pubs. A wonderful time took me through the areas where the gangsters, the mafia were, and, uh, you know, Al Capone was, and, and we just chatted, we didn't know each other at all, and, uh, gimme, gimme. Americans are a lot more open to being open, if you know what I mean. I found, I spent a bit of time there myself. Irish are very cagey, you know. I, Irish would like to just, you know, sit back for a while and get the sushi out of it. You, know? you see, and what I grab a yeah. bit yeah. of salt in here. God, the soup is good. The soup is very good. I mean, Irish people have to sort out, where are you from? You know, where are you from? And then, almost like, don't stop until they find somebody that you both know. After that's been done, they have you sussed out. English people ask you, where'd you go to school? Then they figure out what, they know immediately what social class you come from. They wouldn't ever ask you. I don't remember an English person asking me where you're from. And uh, even when I was, you know, lived in London for 18 years, they wouldn't, uh, if I said I was, they, they wouldn't. And they, uh, they well, they, had a prob they have a problem with Irish people because they can't figure out. They think they know, but they can't figure out. Unless you have a strong Irish accent, they don't know what to make of you. 
because they don't know whether you've got any education or none. Okay. They haven't a clue who they're talking to. They have no idea, you see, and they don't, they don't know. I mean, it's very funny to see it because they can't place you. They have no way of doing it. Like if they ask you where to go to school, you tell them the name of your school. They haven't a clue what that's like. Um, in the UK, you can tell them where you went to school and they'll immediately know whether you went to a, um, a state school or a private school. And they'll be able to tell how much money you had then from a lot of it. And in a place like Bath, for example, which has about, I don't know, about eight uh, private schools, if you like, around it, you'd be able to tell quite a bit. Some of them would be more expensive than others, you know. Um, very interesting. But I, like I was with the guy on the train this morning. It was a lovely conversation we had for about 45 minutes. It began with... Um, I think it might have begun with the Pope, and then it went from there to... Every conversation that's been had around here, anyway, it's probably something to do with the Pope. Yeah, like ours. yeah, a lot of it. But he, he went on then to talk about what Ireland was like. We were talking about what Ireland used to be like and everything. And uh, anyway, we carry on like this. It turns out he worked in... Did you ever hear of a company... Well, you did, of course, but did you ever know that a company called that, uh, um, Dunlop had a big factory in Cork, or a big place in Cork? Hugely important. Huge numbers of people employed there and everything. Turned out he worked there for 30 years. Turns out he lives in Glenmire down the road from me. So I said to him one, and this was a long way into the conversation, I said, yeah, and I go down to uh, Café Beva for coffee and tea and breakfast very often. I said, by any chance, do you know John McCarthy, the owner? But yes, he had a good laugh at me. I said, I know him well. And uh, so we, we worked out that we knew this man in common. And... Uh, we both got on well with it, mm. but uh, you do uh, you do establish another level of comfort with somebody or understanding when you have a mutual uh, association with somebody else, you know. But there is that kind of um, there is that sort of suspicion. Nobody would describe it as suspicion. They don't know if they can trust you to yeah. say anything to you. Now, in Cork, it's much worse than Dublin, I think, because in Cork, you daren't say anything about anyone without thinking, this person could be the second cousin of the woman who's married to so-and-so. You know, and you really, I, you know, everybody I know has had a narrow escape. You know, they know some person they consider to be a wally, you know, a really un... Um, you won't trust him an inch. And they have somehow or other avoided at the last minute dropping themselves. Saying something about this person, you know? Oh, please God, you won't. So there'd be no. Um, there'd be no expression of opinion about people. Like, I'd be um, very critical of all the. what I'd call the powers that be in Cork who've all been to the same school and are very conservative it's a very conservative place and um, I'd be uh, very critical of the whole shower of them like I wouldn't know many of them I would not know many but you know no court people would be freely you know talking about the city manager and talking about the I don't know what now this used to be you know the, the person who's in charge of Port of Cork and this little old boys club that controls everything those boys clubs exist everywhere you know but in Cork you wouldn't name them really because you'd be thinking to yourself but I'm you know kind of I think well fortunately I'm not from Cork I can sort of play the pastor I hardly know Cork at all I've only moved in there 12 years ago you know and uh, I barely know my way around. Like, were you uh, were you in the UK until then? I was. I was. I was in the UK for thirty years. 
you didn't pick up any kind of accent anyway, not that I can tell. Well, my mother used to say that I had um, one accent for talking to her when we were walking down um, um, Oxford Street. That I had one accent for talking to her, another accent for talking to people if I wanted to know where's such and such a place. But there was a man living next to us, lived in inner city London, London Fields, Hackney in case. Did you know, would you know Hackney? I've heard of it. Tower Hamlets, uh, that whole, East London, basically, inner city East I London. I wouldn't know it all well. Hackney would have been the second poorest uh, borough in the UK at one stage. It's probably now one of the... The, the, the best off place. Right? Oh Jesus Christ! They put transport links into Hackney. I mean, I was I bought a house for twenty thousand in eighty two. It had no toilet in the house. Never had had a toilet in the house. So we had to get, you know, new roof. Get a it was two up, two down. We had to. Basically, we got three bedrooms uh, into the house, and we put an inside toilet in. And uh, anyway, you did those kind of things, right? Now that house now, it might be a million and a half. Now, okay, it, it has the price of money has changed, so I don't know how you do it. But literally, because, and it was working class, I mean, okay, these houses were lovely because the council went to knock them all down, these Victorian terraced houses, two up, two down. And there was some local resident uh, protest group, and that stopped. They were going to put high rises, they had high rises, they did put high rises big 1960s density of population will put people up. Anyway, oh, the worst architecture ever executed. 1960s architecture. Terrible. Anyway, it's from a social aspect, you know, social Anyway, the, 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 the thing is, these were, these are some of the most uh, wonderful Victorian designed houses. So simple, straightforward, as I say, brick, uh, brick houses. Um, and uh, they, they, because they're survivors, they've been tearing down the the, uh, the high rises, you know. Now blowing them up and pulling them down. But um, fantastic houses. So they gradually. But when the uh, when the transport system got that you could live there and be um, in the city. In 15 minutes even, in my day, you could walk to the bus which would take you down the city. I mean, it's just a stunning location, but then they joined up the train system. The underground and the overground in London were joined up. And that meant you could get one ticket to travel the whole thing, change everything. And, uh, so as I say, it's just... Stunning, yeah. Might be one of the slowest teasers now you'll come across. So we we just. Where? How long did you spend in London? In London, I was. No, I didn't spend any time in London. Oh, in the UK. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Oh, USA. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. I'm only an in and out kind of visitor to to the UK. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, no, I, I didn't spend any length of time in London. I went for the summer and stayed uh, 30 years. Yeah, so. So tell me, just before we do other things, how's the course? How did the course work out? The course is going great. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, back again now. And you're talking about the colleges? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's going great. I'm into third year now, so um, been thinking about the thesis for fourth year. That's going to take a lot of time, and then going beyond that and uh, developing something into a, a postgraduate uh, study. You know. You so, know what the thing I've noticed about you? You're very good at drawing value out of things. You know, there are people who they go around and 
they say this course isn't good or that conference isn't good or whatever. Nothing wasted. I never imagine you like that. It's always like, you know, the lecturer might have been crap, but I was able to do this or that. You've got, you've got to be able to find something, you know, the value of something that you've done, even if it doesn't give you an immediate return. You know, you don't know how those dots are all going to join up further down the road. You know, so it's like absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, I've been considering where am I take the studies. You know, and uh, we're encouraged to find something that we're passionate about, related to the field that we're yeah, in. Yeah. And uh, try and find something that uh, that interests us to take further and explore and um, recently we've had a bit of an incident a series of incidents with one of our younger one of our young fellas your young son he's 12 my son oh yeah my, your son is 12 and my daughter is 12 ok just to tell you yeah. she's 13 next week so Rory's just gone 12 Keane's All 11 right. and Carrot's 5 so he's been on the receiving end, him and his buddies on the football team have been on the receiving end of a very poor coach, very poor to say the least, in breach of every rule and regulation of child welfare uh, from the GA that you could come up with, apart from mishandling the kids, you know. Yeah. Foul language, abusive, overcritical, demanding, aggressive. Just uh, the biggest bully you'd ever come across. GA coach or yeah. soccer? Yeah, yeah. GA. Jesus, that's awful. And worse again, he's, he's protected by buddies in the club. And I'm an outsider. So it's proven difficult to get that changed. But anyway, um, where I'm going to take... Um, the study is on this particular occasion is into the effects of negativity and criticism really? by coaching staff on the self-esteem and etc etc of young kids in the GEA. The exact work that's a working title, right? But, but you've got an expert on this. You've got an expert to, 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 to discuss. So that's where I'm gonna build the study around. That's with with an intention of uh, hopefully the GEA taking an interest in the data, the subsequent data, and doing something about it. Because the documents are there, they're all presented to the clubs, and the clubs have to implement the material. But coaches, in my opinion, don't know how to speak to children. They don't know how to behave. You go to the side of any field of juvenile games on a Saturday, anywhere in the country, and you'll see coaches jumping up and down on the sideline with their fists clenched and their teeth grinding, effing and blinding, even to themselves, about the performance of the kids. That's how the they coach, coach themselves. The co exactly. The coaches don't understand that their negativity has a direct effect on the performance of the children. The self-esteem, self-confidence. Children are afraid, in a lot of cases, to even handle the damn ball. It's totally against the ethos of the game that we play. And I think the GEA needs to do more of that. Do the GEA not have coach the coaches as a matter of interest? There are child welfare officers that are available to clubs. No, I actually... Okay, I don't mean child welfare now. I mean coach the coaches. Like I know they'd have yeah, child I think, welfare. I think it's lacking. I'm, I'm like I'm in the early stage of exploring the, the information that's out there and the requirements for coaches and clubs. So because there's documents still into your arm. Oh, I'd say it's all um, child yeah. welfare. It's all black and white. Yeah. And coaches have to sign that document. Are supposed to. But do they understand what's in it? And do they understand the implications of not following what's in it? And it's one thing to follow the um, the regulations so that you don't end up in court or anything like that. But it's another thing to draw good performance out of kids. And set them up for life. And set them up. And, and as you I mean, say, we're, we're their um, self-esteem uh, and everything. Talking about mental welfare of kids and the, the lack of state services. One second, just one minute. Yeah. The lack of state services there are for kids who, are, who need psychological interventions. And here we are, unable to correlate how we behave with our kids in a collective environment, coaching scenario, and subsequent later on anxiety and depression in children. This is where it starts. And coaches and the administrators 
don't connect you know, the two. It, the good thing I also think about this is you doing that is you're going to have to, for your thesis, you're going to have to look at the literature on the topic, which means you're going to have to find out you know, what's already been said about this topic. That's, I presume, one of the basic things about doing it. Well, I know, the, you know, a thesis for a master's or a whatever, I mean, it has to do a literature search. And you, uh, I imagine, would have to uh, consider information from other sports. I mean, just very, very... Uh, I think it's important. Like, great stuff, Larry. Very good. Something I'd like to pursue, you know? Yeah. I mean, so, just, uh, and you have a personal motivation, which is great. That's very important, because otherwise there's not no fire under you, you know, to produce the goods. And it's one thing doing a thesis, but it's another thing doing a thesis that can actually be applied. And I'd like to see something along these lines applied, you know. It, it, it would surprise me, and maybe I shouldn't, but... If there wasn't another kind of probably stuff few out there. people in the GAA, rugby or whatever, uh, in some of the same thing, you know? I would imagine uh, so. My, my wife, uh, like she, she's a hockey coach. Now, she's a hockey coach as somebody who really just played hockey at school for a while. But she's done the, she's doing the, um, the hockey coaching um, program and they have um, they have coached the coaches and uh, they had um, you know people who coach in the monster team uh, coaching them now we're talking about we're talking about coaches who are completely volunteers like we're talking about what my wife is and these little people um, and they are coaching the the sixth class you know the, the fourth fifth and sixth class in primary school uh, at hockey um, every Sunday afternoon during hockey season and they have had to go to you know child protection uh, two evening two and a half hour sessions or three hour sessions yeah. sign documents um, very serious well, I think there I think there are well, I know there are requirements on coaches to, come to, to complete yeah. particular courses and what have you but there is a, a, there's a, an attitude that's predominant in the GAA that get whoever you can it's a, you know we need coaches it doesn't matter get them and get them coaching and uh, they'll do the very basic but it's not reinforced it's not uh, there's no follow up there's no uh, like on our own club site the child welfare page has links to all the documentation that is required has been published on the subject from the GA and other sources and all of those links are broken none of them work they don't work. So if you want to go and find out and click on that document to download it, you can't do it. Because it leads you nowhere. You actually have to go into the GAA website and search there and find it. So nobody's updating the information. Nobody is at all. And there's nobody there to. You can't sort of ring up somebody's sideline while they're doing the coaching, yeah? Uh, at the games, yeah. 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 At the, oh, the, yeah. I, I did that for a while. My, my daughter is... Uh, She's, she likes hockey, that she finally found a game that she liked, you know. Um, and uh, I suppose she'd say she likes... She's not really a big team sports person, really. She'd say she likes camogie, but, you know, maybe not really that much. Her big thing is uh, horses, but that's another story. Ponies, horses, yeah. Um, my, my little girl, uh, she's hilarious. She's got her claws into this whole horse thing. Oh, Larry. She's, she's got, she yeah. puts a coat, she sits on the wall outside the house with, her, with, her, with the dog's lead around the gate, pretending she's on a horse. <laughs> Let me warn you. Let me warn you, just in case this could happen to you. Never do you, if she ever asks you for a pony, always say no. Don't ever say maybe. And the worst thing you could say is, look, you're only a... You're only six, right? Wait till you're 12, I'll get you a pony. 
that is what happened in our house. Now, I have nothing to do with it, right? But my wife said to, you know, a child keen on two and a half, three, lifted up on top of a pony, walked 50 yards, that's it. 50 yards back. That's, that's uh, you know, three. Well, at four, they're doing a bit more. At five, they're doing a bit more. And then, you know, she's at six wanting to have a pony. Penny I earned goes to keep this horse. We don't have a field. Well, okay, maybe not every penny, but not far. Uh, it cost me... The best part is 700 a month. Jesus Christ. Yeah, you see, I thought I might take you aback. To pay the half a mortgage. Well, exactly. To pay the livery and the small number <coughs> of um, riding lessons. And to pay the farrier, to put the, uh, the shoes on. And uh, she wants to be making the Olympic team for that sort of money. No, it is the most expensive livery in Cork. However, it's not that much more expensive than the next one. And it's also about, depending on how fast you drive, five minutes from our house. So I've been able to get up at a quarter past six during the last year, stumble into the car with her, drive her up to riding pony at half six in the morning, and back home at 25 to eight. And she's very dedicated and all that. Okay, that's good. But as I say, so, I mean, it is. Actually, I think that it's the... I, oh, fuck, look at this. I can't think of a better activity for a kid to be... This is crazy now, I would never have realised this. For a kid to be involved in, for life skills, if you like. Organisation, time management, taking responsibility, recovering from disappointment, uh, courage. Horse jump. Is it jumping horses or what? Yeah, they're all kind of jumpers, really, in a way. But they're mainly... You have to be um, health, ball, yeah. health and safety. You have to be safe. Um, you have to know all these bits of kit. You have to have knowledge. I mean, and you have to be very responsible. I once came across a woman in the UK. You know how they have interviews with people who are very successful managers, leaders, whatever, CEOs. This woman, I forget her name, was interviewed and said, how, how did you ever learn to be a, a good manager, we'll say? She said, at the age of 14, the woman who owned the uh, stables that my horse was at uh, got very sick. And uh, she, said, she said to me, well, you run the stables while I uh, get better. At the age of 14, she was running, you know, in charge of the stables, which means everything from the vets, the food for the horses, everything. She must have had some. She must have had something to begin with. She must. She must have had something. Do you know? Um, Larry, could knock it into you because I tell you something. You cannot mess around when you're with horses. Like you can't be. You can't be uh, cracking jokes as you are. Uh, moving the pony around you know you have to be concentrated and in that sense you know you've either given it up by the time you're 14 because you have to ride the horse every day and that means you know whatever anyway look all of that stuff is I never realised any of this thing I had nothing to do with horses I thought horsey people were all snooty no interest in them but you're being converted well, only in the sense... I mean, I'm a driver, right? I drive the car, right? Yeah. The people I've met have been very practical. I haven't met anyone I'd call snooty. Now, I learned one thing. Wouldn't trust them an inch when it comes to buying and selling a horse. Is that right? Oh, me. They would tell you the nicest people would tell you anything about their horse if you were thinking of buying it. Like they would tell you, this horse has jumped, uh, you know, a meter. 
and that's how they kind of grade them. They jump to meter. You'd go out then to give the horse a small trial. So the horse wouldn't jump cross poles that are about, you know, 50 centimetres off the ground. I also believe that they give the horse drugs to calm them down. So that, now this is my belief, I have no proof, that they give the horse, some people give the horse drugs to calm them down. So you get, and you go riding on this horse, very nice, uh, calm horse. Three or four, five days later, you can't control the horse. I, I've heard, I couldn't believe at first that people could be so uh, blatantly untruths, serious untruths, you know. Oh, great, yeah. Just, um, do you uh, put it so that it's facing down? Keep yeah. it on there like yeah. this here, look. Yeah. yeah, they're great. I should really... See, the one I bought has is much too long and it's totally crazy. You can't be using a thing that is... I'm talking about a big ball of spaghetti. Okay. The thing would be about five metres long or more. I got one... Um, I got a cheap one before and it just never works. Which iPhone do you have? Oh shit. That's a problem now. That's a problem. If you want to, this is simple. We put it on my phone, yeah. right? I'll then send it to you via Google Docs, or Google Drive. And that will go in if you want to. Entirely up to you. Larry and I kept talking. We, Larry recorded conversation we had about work, which I look forward to being able to listen to again, and I hope somebody will find that worth listening to. It was a delight to meet Larry after having met so many times asynchronistically on audio. Him putting something up, me listening to it, saying something, him then responding to that, and also me tuning into conversations that he has had with other people. Yeah, we uh, we must, uh, we will do that again sometime soon. So this is the morning after, if you like, in Swansea. Time to get up and have breakfast. And I'll make this the end of this episode. And there will be more episodes in this adventure from Swansea. So from Cork with Love Adventures continues this weekend in Swansea.